0: Didier and I are very privileged to be here this morning and Brent asked me, so what's the topic? I'm like, okay, yeah. I just gave it to them because I just came up with one because there wasn't really one. So, but I, we talk about how we prepare when we go to places. We don't really sit and work around. What are we going to say? We just pray and say, Lord, when we get there, you'll just tell us how it goes. And so that's why I never really have a, a topic. But this morning, what I feel we could talk on, it's simply the fundamentals of ministry. And there's lots of things we can say about ministry, but I'm just going to say two things that I... Looking at Outlook Church and where you're at and what God is doing, I'm trusting God that you can see beyond just the chemistry and see the divine at work amongst you. And my view of you, it's this way. It's in the olden days, in biblical times and Vikings times and so on and so forth, when two armies were, were to fight, they didn't just like, I'm going to fight you and then they start fighting. No, they actually would have... Terms and conditions, uh, rules of engagement, and in some cases they will lay a siege around the city and wait on and say, let's talk, are you surrendering, are you, are you fighting, are you engaging? They wouldn't just engage. And sometimes what would happen, and it happened in, in World War I, World War II, it always happens during war. The most important thing that happens is not the engagement itself. It's the information the army receives. And you, you, you'll think, why is that important? Because a lot of strategy is in the information they receive. If you receive the information that says the reinforcement is coming then you know that we already have an advantage against our enemy because they're looking at the numbers that we have, but they don't know that we actually have reinforcements coming. So we'll play a laid-back approach and say, "Mm, we're thinking of surrendering. But you're just lulling them off to the idea that you don't know what we have up our sleeves. And so the information most of the time because they didn't have the technology that we have available now. Those days, the information was just a matter of what do you hear. And the Bible says this way, it's about hearing. Jesus says to, 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 to the Pharisees, he says, what did the scripture say? How do you hear it? Then he makes this statement that I want to make to you this morning. Be careful how you hear. Because we're bringing a message to an army at a camp. You are in an army at a camp on a verge of a great victory. But what you hear and how you hear it determines how you approach your next step in the battle. And I would like to read a few portions of scripture to just highlight how armies had lost what they could have won based on information. So they processed the, 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 the information through what they hear and through what they see. In each case of what we will read, you realize that these people could have actually still gone a further mile, but based on what they had, what they saw, their hearts melted and they lost it. And so the fact that God has put you on the verge of victory, what we've seen over this weekend is what Barnabas saw when he went to Antioch. The Bible says, he saw the great grace that was upon them. And we've witnessed the great grace upon you. And I'm saying, but Lord, are they hearing as they should at the verge of their victory? So I want to start off by reading in the book of 2 Kings. This is the story that you know. And the only reason I'm reading this story is because I want you to see what hearing the wrong message will do to you. In chapter 7 of Second Kings, it says, Elijah replied, remember there was a, a siege against the city, and there was just they were impoverished. There was famine because of the siege. No one could come in. The, sea, the siege had created a shutdown, a lockdown for the, the city. So Elijah had prophesied that God is going to give them, we are on the verge of a breakthrough. It says Elijah replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sayer of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two says for a barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God. So there was a word that came. Came from God directly. But the Bible speaks of. Every time people heard the word of God in Israel, the reason they did not enter his rest is because when the word came, they didn't mix it with faith. And I'm challenging you this morning that what you will hear, mix it with faith for your own context. It says, this man despised the word of God. He says, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? I cannot imagine it happening despite what you are claiming as a God's mouthpiece. And this is what Elisha says. You will see it with your own eyes. You will witness the grace upon outlook. But if you choose not to hear with a, a heart of faith, you will see it, but you will not eat of any of it. Now there were four men. With leprosy, at the entrance of the city gate, they said to each other, Why should we still sit here and we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, then we die. Another version says, if they kill us, we will only die. It's like nothing worse will happen other than what would have eventually happened if we stayed where we're So, What is the point in that? The point in that is... Where you at if you don't take a step of faith? If you don't take a rhema word for your context, for your situation, where are you at now? You are no worse off, but you could have been better off. You could have been better off taking a step in the direction of what God is saying to you. And this is what I want you to hear primarily. Verse 5. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear. The Lord had caused them to what? He had given them information. And this was a strategic misinformation to the Armenian army. Why? Because listen to what they heard. The Lord had caused them to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their houses and the donkeys. They left the camp as it were and ran for their lives. Were the Egyptians coming? No. Were the Hittites coming? No. But a strategic information changed the tide of the outcome. What am I saying about the fundamentals of ministry? I'm saying there are many things we can share. But the first thing that I want you to hear and grasp for yourself is have a rhema word for your context. Have a word of faith from God. Have a word that you are hearing consistently for where you're at. Have a word you can speak. If you don't, the enemy is going to give you a strategic misinformation that will let you leave your camp when you are on the verge of a breakthrough. Does that make sense? The next thing we want to read, it's in 1 Kings chapter. So this is what they heard. They didn't hear the word of victory. They they heard the sound of Eminent defeat. And they ran. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know the story. The, The army of Israel and the Philistines army are standing opposite one another. And Goliath is coming out declaring, speaking, speaking. What is he saying? Misinformation. Words that will induce fear out of their heart. These guys, the Lord has already said, I've given your enemies over into your hands. But like before, they had seen in Canaan the giants and they felt like they are grasshoppers. And this time the misinformation is coming in the form of words again. But a man who hears differently. He hears, David comes and he hears this satanic enemy's misinformation and he says, no, 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 that cannot be. You know the story, right? Eventually he defeats Goliath. But this is the part I want you to to see. In verse 51 of 1 Samuel 17 it says, After David had killed Goliath, it says, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now listen to what happens to the Philistines. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now you have to appreciate that these men were men of war. These men were armored for war. These men were trained for war. These men on their own individually, they were not scared of Israel. But it was what they saw that intimidated them. It was when the hope of their victory was turned around, they lost Confidence in their own abilities. Now it's funny, if you think about it, if Goliath was the pinnacle of their strength, why was their entire army gathered there? Why didn't they just simply say, okay, Goliath, you go and fight Israel? Goliath was not the total strength of that army. But you see, a perception created an understanding that if we lose that guy, we have lost. But the entire time, our army was still there. So, another the question is what do we see if we don't see Jesus? The Bible says, now in this race, Put your focus, set your eyes firmly on Jesus. And why? Because the perception of your hero in the battle dictates your hope for victory in that battle. And if your, 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 your hero in the battle is a one who has never lost a single battle against satanic forces, you will not lose hope because your hope in the battle you are facing is not a situation, is a person, Christ, Jesus, the hope of glory. So the first thing I want to say to you this morning is a very simple one. Have a rhema weight for where you're standing and keep the right hero for your battle. The second thing I want to say about ministry, and I'm saying all these things in the context of the general assembly, not so much the idea that others say they are in full-time ministry and others are not. We we could talk about that. Everyone is called into full-time ministry. It's a matter of context. No one serves God partially. Because God gave all and demands all. It is just a matter of where do you give that all. Some of you have to give part of your all at work, at school. at But wherever you're at, you are an ambassador. I don't know someone who's, not, who's in another, another country as an ambassador, and they decide, I'm on leave. You are never on leave as an ambassador. For as long as you are in that particular country and state, you will always represent where you come from. So we always, from a perspective of representing God, we are always on duty. So I'm just going to rush through these two ideas. So we're reading now in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to try and say these things as fast as I can. And hope you hear them. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy. Another version says, faithful, and appointing me to the service. He says, even though I was a blasphemer and a murderer, everything I did, I did ignorantly. But God... Wanting to show his mercy took me the worst of sinners to show forth his grace. So the first thing about ministry is that you have to hear what God is saying for, to you. The second thing I want to say, remember I'm just saying three things. The second thing I want to say is that God is the one who has considered you faithful despite of you. Now you have to re- hear this Portion of scripture. I hope someone is not following me with the camera because they always miss. I get out of the focus because I move around a lot. I'm going to Ferrari it now towards that last 10 minutes. When God calls you, this is what Paul says. He says, He considered me faithful and then appointed me. The consideration of my faithfulness preceded my appointment. He didn't appoint me and wanted me to prove myself faithful after. Why did God do this? Because God, as we spoke yesterday, God called you before you were in your mother's womb. Psalm 139 tells you that he preordained your days before one came to be. And that very same God had declared to Jeremiah, to Paul, to you and I, that when I called you, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I called you to be a prophet. I called you to be this. I called you to be that. And no one will change my plans for your life. Now, when you come into your mother's womb, you are not coming and waiting for God. has already called you. Because if Ephesians 2.10 Already God says, you are my workmanship. I created you in Christ Jesus to do good works which I prepared before you were formed. So when you become born, a lot of people are like, I want to know what God has gifted me. And the first thing is not to try and figure what you are gifted to understand that first. is to have the confidence that God has already started a work. He called me. That is why now then the Bible says when God has already called you He's the one who puts a stamp of approval before you do anything. He says of Jesus coming out of the waters of Jordan, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He has not done any miracle. He has not done anything. But because the father has already declared victory over them, he has spoken the end from the beginning over this man. He says, it doesn't matter. I'm well pleased. And this is what I want you to see, is that in the context of God, having called you, he speaks of, Paul says, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. So when God has called you in that sense, then Philippians 1, 6 makes sense to you. It says, God has started a good work in you. We have confidence in that. He will bring it to completion. How do we know that he will bring it to completion? Because Jude 1, to 25 and 25 says, God is able. Not only is he able, but what he will do, he will keep you from stumbling and falling despite. You know why? Because in Genesis, when the Bible says God has started a good work in you, is God Naive and ignorant of the fact that you are a rebel? No. Is God naive and ignorant of the fact that you want to have your own will? No. He's not. But here's the point. The point is, when you study Genesis, the Bible says that the earth was, was formless. Darkness was all over. So there was chaos. That chaos did not deter God. And when God does his work, at the end of every day, he puts a commendation to his own work. He says it is good. And if God, because work is the extension of one's abilities, inspirations, aspirations, and therefore God does work to bring himself glory to the extent that he has to look at it and say it is good. So the eventuality of all God's work is unto this one commendation, good. That is why the Bible says, it doesn't say God has started work in you. It says God has started a good work in you. It says, Romans 8, 29, 28, for we know God works it all for what? Good, because the eventuality of what God does is the commendation word. good. That is why even when he has finished his work through you and in you, this is what God says he will say, well done, good, and faithful. But see, that faithfulness stemmed from him as he was working, according to Philippians 2.13, as he was working in you to will and to act. You're like, it's raining today. I'm not, I don't think I'll go to church. But, mm, and God, he hacks your will. You say you don't want to go, he hacks your will. You're like, yeah, but I, I think I would like to see so-and-so. And the next thing, guess what? Despite having had the inclination not to come. Guess what? You're here now. <laughs> because he's working in you to will and to act. And that is eventually unto a commendation. It is good. And the last thing is this. Is that in Romans chapter 8. So when you know that God has started a good work. Remember you have to have a rhema weight from him. But then you must also know that he started a good work and he will finish it. And that's my conviction. My conviction is that in his sovereign will God has allowed guys that must have been failures to succeed because he determined their success. And I want to believe I'm one of them. And I want to believe you are one of them, despite our rebellion. One day we will see Jesus and like, Lord, I don't know how could I have been so foolish. Thank you that you love me despite of me. If God does his good in you, he will do his good through you. And so here's what we're reading here. It says, Therefore there is now no condemnation, For those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of life in the Spirit. Another version says it is the law of life. Now, this one I really have, I don't know whether I'm McLarening it or what, but you, you, you will have to hear it and God will help you get it. The law of life, so let's just go back a bit. The Bible says when God has breathed into Adam, man became a living soul. But when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it it separates Jesus and Adam in this way. It says Adam became a living being. But Christ, who's the last Adam, it says he's a life-giving spirit. And Jesus, speaking of himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. So what is Jesus saying? He he tells them that, you see, I am able to lay down my life and raise it up. Why? Because the law of life, his life in himself. And the law of life can produce but one thing, and that is life. There are two principles of life that work in us, according to the Bible. One is the words that we speak. The difference is this. The Bible says, on the tongue lies the power of life and death. But the law of life in the spirit does not have the death part. It says, it nullifies, it's called resurrection life. And of that power, the Bible says God has put that life in you and I. It is the life that we have. And because we have that life, one of the things that I'm trusting God for myself and for you is when we tap into that, we produce life even when we don't intend to. Let me give you a few examples and then I'll sit down. One is that... You understand that the Bible says in Mark chapter 16, you shall lay hands upon the sick and the sick shall what? Recover. So when you have the life, you can lay hands, right? But here's how the life, the the law of life works. If you look at every time, Jesus, Paul, Peter, everyone, at some point they lay hands on the people. At another point, the Bible says they spoke a word, they released it. But then it got to a time where the law of life was automated in them because they had tapped into it through continual fellowship with God. You know how that happened? When they no longer wanted to automate it or rather to activate it, it was automated. The, the woman with the blood came and touched him. Jesus didn't intend to heal her. It was on, and how does Jesus, as he says, I felt power living. How is that power resident? Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you can ask and imagine. According to the power that is at work in you. See, this is not the power of the tongue. It is a resident law of life that is in you. That is why now Peter could walk and his shadow brought life when he had not activated it. It was automated. How about Paul? They brought handkerchiefs. It was not, can you please pray for this handkerchief? No, they just touched the automated power and went and touched people. And my favorite one is in 2nd, we could read it, but you can go and read in 2nd Kings chapter 13, I think, around the 21. There, The Bible says there were marauders, there were people who used to torment Israel and it it speaks of it this way it says and Elijah died and uh, some people were going to bury a dead guy you remember the story thank you at least somebody's already excited about the story it says when they they were about to bury the guy they saw the marauders and then because remember these are their tormentors they then decided, let's just drop this guy into Elijah's grave. And guess what? The Bible says when the corpse of this guy touched the bones. Now you have to hear that. Not when the corpse touched the body. No, when it touched the bones of Elijah. The law of life, the Others call it the anointing. That anointing was such that it was still even resident in the bones of a man who died because he walked with God. The Bible says that guy rose up. The guy who was dead was brought to life by the bones of a long dead guy. But the power of life, the law of life was still resident. Shall we stand up? So what I'm hoping for, for myself and for you, is that somewhere along the lines, we decide, I don't want average anymore. I want the law of life automated. I can activate it, but I think it's better automated. God has challenged me personally that you guys, there's just this apathy and laziness around what we desire. But you know what God does? He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Believers can lay hands upon the sick. They just have to have the faith for that. But when they start walking with God, the life of God, the Bible says, when Christ, who's your life, appears, you also shall appear. But as long as you are on earth, when you appear, Christ appears when the law of life is automated. And I want to pray this morning that even if you don't know Christ, somewhere deep in your heart, you can understand there's no true life without the divine life in Christ. And so as we pray, pray for yourself that Jesus come into my heart. But if you are a child of God, pray pray with me. And that's what I'm going to pray, that God will give you a hunger for an automated life of God. Your deep hunger is not what is natural, but what is supernatural. Is that okay? So, Father, I thank you. I thank you that your word declares that we should put on our, the new self that is created after God. In the nature of God. When you speak, you say, you, dear children, are from God. You are born of God. You have overcome them because you are from above. You are not from below. And I pray for a revelation knowledge this morning that we may understand that we are from above. The below is indeed beneath us. That what we contend with, now, it's way below where we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Therefore, if we were to but ponder and consider and meditate on our position in Christ far high above every principality, power, and dominion, then we will know that every demonic cohort, every demonic force, does not have any precedence over us, does not have any ascendance. We are supreme for whom we are seated. The hero of our army is seated high above. And we pray that, Lord, we may tap in the reality of the law of life. Jesus says... John fourteen twelve. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do, and even greater things. How Jesus? How did you do it? Because I and the Father are one. The works that I do, it's my Father doing. And you prayed that may we be one. May we seek that unity with you, with the Holy Spirit. That the works that He does, we may do, so that the Father may receive glory that we may see you manifested in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.